Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Ladies Who Law School podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Haley. And this week's episode is brought to you by BarCast Audio. Whether you're a 1L preparing for your first final season or a 3L looking to get ahead in bar prep, BarCast Audio has you guys covered. Their podcast-like audio lessons are perfect options for busy law students allowing you to review while you're commuting, folding laundry, or even working out. BarCast Audio has flashcards, essay attack sheets, and one-of-a-kind essay workshops that are the secret weapon for you guys. For all of you taking the bar exam in 2021, BarCast Audio has a special offer just for listeners of our show. Right now, you can get 10% off your pre-order of the BarCast MBE pack, which includes access to audio lessons, essay workshops, and attack sheets for all of the seven MB subjects. Just use the promo code LADIES, that's all caps, L-A-D-I-E-S, at checkout at BarCastAudio.com. Well, guys, this week's episode is something a little different. We're going to talk about food and relationships with food, and we invited a very special guest onto the episode today. She is one of my friends from college, and she is one of the smartest people I know about food. She is a registered dietitian. Please help me welcome Miss Jaylene Lothorpe. Okay, guys, well, help me welcome our guest, Miss Jaylene Lothorpe. So Jaylene, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to share a little bit about nutrition today. My name is Jaylene Lothorpe. I am a registered dietitian at the Portland VA Hospital. So I graduated from Texas Tech back in 2017, so Reckham alma mater, Um, Did my master's at Texas Women's University, and after I graduated, I was uh, confronted, do I stay in Texas or do I get outside my comfort zone? And that's what brought me to Portland. And ultimately, with my career in nutrition, um, it all started because I loved to eat. At an early age, I realized food was something I thoroughly enjoyed. And I recognized it um, sort of being kind of problematic because my family history, we have high rates of obesity, heart disease, diabetes, and even some cancers as well. 
So my father actually sat me down at a young age and was like, Jaylene, I want the best for you. I want you to know how to nourish your body and not abuse the food. And that's what really turned me on to nutrition at kind of an early age. And then I soon realized that I could actually use nutrition to help me with my sports and my athletic ability. And nutrition ended up being something that I just fell in love with. And I decided to pursue that for a career. And I'm very blessed to do what I love to do every single day. And that is to help other people realize how food can either keep you on that path for health destruction, or it can actually be what heals your body from the inside out. That's awesome. I think, um, knowing how your body reacts to food and just like knowing and recognizing like how you intake food, like do you binge eat? Do you not eat? Like those are all things that law students and like our peers talk about. So I feel like your insight can be really helpful because a lot of law students under this extreme stress and anxiety, like their eating habits go completely whack. So I'm really excited to see what you have to say about some of the questions we got. Stress and food definitely go hand in hand. So there's a lot to talk about there. Okay, well, let's just dive in. So going off the topic of like nervous eating and everything like that. So what do you say about not eating because you're nervous or stressed? Like, is that normal? How do you combat that? Because I'm like, I guess an example is like me. I... Like right now during finals, like I am not hungry. I cannot keep anything down. Like my anxiety is just in stress. I think it's that, right? That's making me not want to eat. But um, obviously it's not like that all the time. And I get, we got a lot of questions about like, I'm not eating because I'm so stressed. Like how do you, is, is that even healthy? Like, obviously I don't think it is, but all about that. Yeah. So to really address stress eating, we have to fully kind of be aware of what is going on in our body when we are stressed. And so it is a natural human instinct that anytime our body perceives any kind of threat, that our central nervous system switch over to this fight or flight mode, which basically triggers your brain to release a hormone called cortisol. Now that is true for everyone. And it's a very subconscious reaction. So even if you don't think you're stressed out, your body could still be releasing cortisol. Guess what? You still are. Mm -hmm. And stress and inflammation, I'll likely be using them synonymously. They very much go um, hand in hand, stress and inflammation. But when our bodies are stressed and cortisol is released, how you handle that varies between individuals. Some people may their hunger may shut off and they may not eat anything at all. And if you think about, you know, way back when, when a saber tooth tiger was running at you and our stress response had to turn on and we start taking off running, there's no need for digestion at that time. So our digestion actually kind of turns off and stress and cortisol is at its highest point. So some people may not have any natural um, desire to eat at that point because our bodies are just so preoccupied with that stress response. On the other hand, some people actually might have the opposite problem. And that cortisol can actually trigger our bodies to want 
to eat more fat or sugar rich foods because these are the foods that actually trigger something that's called dopamine. It's another hormone released by our brain. And that dopamine gives us that sense of security. So whenever we feel stressed, um, you know, we may all vary different responses, but it's really important to just think about that hormonal response that's happening in our body that is driving our reaction. So in the case where you're, let's say, not eating, how do you get out of that funk? Do you just force yourself to eat even though it may be uncomfortable? Like for me, I suffer from IBS. So that just like makes everything worse when I'm stressed out. So like, what would you say to people who are dealing with the not eating? Like, is like, how long can you go with this? And when do you have to recognize that you have to like force yourself to eat? Yeah. So there's a very complex bodily function that is going on there. Having that predlining predisposition to IBS, when you're stressed out, your body probably has more digestive issues just naturally with the hormones going on. And so you probably already know that if you were to then eat, it may not be well. And so your body's just natural response, like I'm just going to avoid eating altogether when I'm stressed to hopefully reduce that digestive issue. So a lot of that is also very psychological, you know, pushing past that fear of it just being uncomfortable. But in that, you have to also know which foods your body can eat. So Mm -hmm. that way, you know that if, you know, the best thing for your body is to nourish your body, but you don't want to put any more stress on your body. And so really being aware of the foods that are the most tolerated for your body, especially during high states of stress, is going to be that key. But, you know, maybe even setting reminders. Um, you, the last thing you want to do is force yourself to eat where you start to create this poor relationship with food. So, it, it, you know, sometimes sustaining, it might not be the worst, but there, there does come a point where if you're avoiding too much food and you are adding more stress on your body, as well, that it can be unhealthy. So I would say pushing past that point of fear, figuring out what you would need to be able to increase your confidence in your food choices, knowing you're choosing the foods that won't worsen the problems you're already having. Scheduling scheduling your meals. Sometimes you just need that extra reminder because your body's not going to naturally get that hunger cue. Um, so those would be the two main tips. Very cool. Okay, so going off of like when you described what kind of foods your body can tolerate. So what would you do? do you, are there like foods that work for everybody in that situation? Or are there, is that kind of something you have to learn on your own? We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes. Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you are currently hooked on Never Lie by Frida McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? 
Absolutely. The twists and turns and never lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go, whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. So IBS, which stands for irritable bowel syndrome, it's actually a very common condition that is often underdiagnosed because the symptoms are just, you know, gas, bloat, you might have some constipation or diarrhea, sorry if that's a little TMI, but (laughs) everybody does it and it can range from being very mild to very severe. It's a very unfortunate condition because Some of the foods that actually trigger this um, GI disturbance is some of the most nutrient-dense foods found in our um, diets, which tend to be foods that are pretty high in fiber. Uh. However, some of these foods um, that are high in fiber and other types of carbohydrates that actually ferment in our digestive tract, And that fermentation is what causes the gas to release and causes that discomfort. Um, For one person, say apples might be like the biggest trigger for their IBS. But another person who has IBS, apples may be tolerated just fine. Mm -hmm. So it's a very individualized diet that you have to really go through the process on your own. But there are foods that are commonly more heavier in in those certain types of nutrients that cause that inflammation in your in your GI tract and they're called FODMAPs foods. So foods very high in these FODMAPs, which is an acronym, since so fructose, oh I could get into it, um oleosaccharides, <laughs> disaccharides, monosaccharides, okay, it goes on. <laughs> Big words that just stands for certain carbohydrate links inside those foods. Um, trying to do the elimination diet with the FODMAPs can be helpful and slowly introduce the foods back in. Mm, That's cool. The thing is you don't want to avoid the food forever. You want to be able to build your tolerance back up to these foods that cause the problem. So if apples are what's causing your problem, every day eat just one slice of apple. And then maybe one day you'll work your up work your way up to the half an apple. And soon you can start retolerating the entire apple. It's just going to take some time for your body to build up that tolerance. Do you think that sometimes, you know, problems can be triggered from like overindulging in like say an apple, right? Like if that's what really triggers your IBS and you eat like four apples, then that's why you're really sick, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Dose does matter. 
So things like beans, beans are very high in fiber. <laughs> People know that beans probably creates flatulence and that's because that's the gas that comes to it. Some people are very sensitive. They may not be able to tolerate a fourth a cup. Some people can probably tolerate a full cup just fine. But if that person who can tolerate a full cup tries to eat two cups of beans, it just might be so overwhelming because their bodies were not adapted to it yet. But our bodies do adapt. That's one of the most beautiful things about our bodies is that it changes all the time to our environment. So if we slowly train our bodies to tolerate more difficult foods, then it will tolerate it in the future. It just takes baby steps. Does that work also for like lactose or is that totally separate? It is sort of similar. Um, It depends on how sensitive you are to something like lactose. Because with lactose, most Americans really do have some degree of a lactose intolerance, some higher than most, and that may not ever go away. So if you were somebody, especially of the Asian descent, I, I believe the statistic is like 90% of Asians are lactose intolerant. So if that person was trying to still eat lactose every day, their body's going to have a small degree of stress or inflammation in their body. And small amounts are fine, but chronic, small, low-grade inflammation can actually lead in the long term to chronic diseases. And so you don't want that either. So if a particular food is causing inflammation in your body, then it might be just best to avoid that food. What are some ways that inflammation can show up in your body? Everybody's very different. Um, Your digestive tract will tell you a lot. If you're not having regular bowel movements, that can be a sign. Um, If you're feeling kind of like achy or pain, Um, achy or um, bloated a little bit, that can also be a sign. Um, You you know, for me particularly, like when I have like stress in my body, it affects more of like my mental health. And that is a big correlation too. So you just might feel more, you know, melancholy or just sad, a little more depressed too. And that's a big sign of inflammation. And I guess that ties into like the not wanting, not being hungry too. Yeah, exactly. Very, this is, this is really interesting. Wow. Okay. So are there certain types of foods that you would say make you more groggy? Like maybe some of those carbohydrates you were describing, like. Absolutely. Um, A big energy sucker is when your body eats a lot of carbohydrates, you release something that's called insulin. Insulin is great, but if you're if you have too high of an insulin spike and you start to come down off of that, it's going to drain you. So mm. refined carbohydrates, which are carbohydrates that basically have had all the vitamins, minerals, and fiber stripped from it. So take for instance, maybe like white enriched pancakes. Pancakes made from enriched bleach flour. That bleached white flour, there's not a whole lot of nutrition behind it besides just pure carbohydrate, pure energy, as well as just pure sugary candy. Um, But if you take pancakes and you load it up with some syrup and maybe um, add in some chocolate chips in there too, that's you're getting a load of carbohydrate that is 
going to be digested very quickly because there's nothing to slow down that digestion. And so your insulin is just going to spike real high with it. And when you come down off that high spike, you're going to get a crash. And that's going to make you feel very low energy, very fatigued. Are there foods that increase energy? There are. It's all about the right fuel for your body. I like to use this analogy a lot with my veterans because they mostly men and they like cars. And so I tell them, you know, what would happen if you took a brand new car that's supposed to run off of gasoline, but you put diesel fuel in that engine? What would happen? Blow up. <laughs> it might. <laughs> it definitely would ruin the engine. You might be able to get from point A to point B one or two times before that engine completely goes kaput but eventually that engine's going to break down and it won't work. And that's exactly what happens to our bodies when we put the wrong fuel in our bodies. We might be able to get to point A to point B, you know, but we're going to be running on an island autopilot. We're not going to have the true energy, the clean energy that comes from eating the foods that really promote our body's health. When we put the wrong fuel in the body, it's the wrong fuel. We're not going to have that energy. So along with energy, I think a lot of people associate caffeine with energy, especially like in our school, you know, in the school setting. So are there healthier alternatives to caffeine? Should people be drinking caffeine? Is there too much caffeine? Can you just give us like an insight on how caffeine affects our bodies and when it's overboard, if it can be? Yes. Good question. So I first want to say caffeine, let's talk about caffeine separately than coffee because caffeine is in coffee, but there's a lot of other things that go on just when you're drinking coffee itself. Caffeine, it is a neurochemical. It does stimulate your brain and your central nervous system to help you with more alertness, which is, which is great. It's fine. The highest dose of caffeine for health benefits is about 400 milligrams. That's for the average adult. Now, if you're a woman who's breastfeeding or lactating, then 200 milligrams is going to be your, your max. Caffeine has a lot of health benefits. There's really not much negativity um, in the nutrition science about caffeine in general, there's some, and I'll explain, but caffeine really can help with burning fat. It actually supports brain health. It can support heart health and, and um, diabetes prevention as well. However, it can disturb um, sleep. It can cause high blood pressure and so if that's something you're sensitive to, then it can cause more anxiety, and then that wouldn't be great either. So it's, again, very individualized from person to person on whether or not caffeine is tolerant of you or not. There is actually brand new research, too, over the last five, ten years on the controversy of caffeine and coffee in particular some people, it shows to have health promotion effects. Some people, it's showing more adverse effects on your health. And genetics has now isolated the reason 
for that is a particular gene variant that determines whether you are a fast metabolizer of coffee or a slow metabolizer of coffee. And what I mean by that is caffeine actually has, on average, about a 12-hour full life. So about a six-hours half-life. So the peak of caffeine can still be in your blood for about six hours. Now, if you are a fast metabolizer, it may not take a whole six hours. You may metabolize right through it within two or three hours, depending on how quickly you metabolize it. And if that's the case, you tend to have more health promotion effects. But if you are sensitive to coffee or caffeine, and you know that if you drink a cup of coffee past noon, it's going to keep you up all night long, there's a good chance you were a slow metabolizer of coffee, meaning that caffeine stays in your blood system for longer than that six hours. It could take 12 or 18 hours before it to completely um, rid out of your blood. In that case, you might have more adverse health effects from the coffee, um, which I would then say coffee would probably not be, or caffeine would probably not be something you would want on a regular basis. Oh, I think I'm one of those slow metabolizers that just like what you're describing and I'm like, oh my gosh, it is bad for my mental health because exactly what you're describing, like I can't sleep, it keeps me up all night, like... And I guess for me, like I can drink coffee and within like two hours, I'm sleepy again. So like, would that be the fast, meta- like, would that be a symptom of like the fast metabolizing if you just like don't feel the effects of caffeine anymore after a short period of time? It very, mu- very well could be, but there's also a lot of other things that are affecting our tiredness or our energy level. And so if you're somebody who's already pretty chronically fatigued, you know, drinking a cup of coffee, you might still be able to pass out because you're just so exhausted, but it doesn't mean that the caffeine has left your blood system, your blood system. Mm. And if that's the case, then you may not get a deep enough sleep too. Mm. And then that could be problematic and it contributes to that chronic fatigue. Oh, you're just well. always tired. Mm-hmm. Wow. So one way to know is to actually get your genetics tested And there's a lot of companies that are now doing these tests. However, they're still pretty pricey because it's it's a very new research. But I would recommend anybody who's interested in doing it to get their genetics tested. That's really cool. For real. All right. So we're going to ask you some questions that we got from our listeners. So they're kind of all over the place, but we separated them out into little categories. It's a little bit more (laughs) flowy. So... The first one is just about like general health habit questions. And we got a question that said, do you believe in health at any size? Absolutely, I do. Um, Our culture has embedded this preconception of what the ideal body looks like. And it's, for the most part, completely false. So I'd like to really just put out there that thinness does not equate health. There are many, many people who are at or above the BMI standards that have a completely metabolic health body, meaning they're the healthiest they've ever been. On the opposite end, there are many people who are underweight or very thin, 
but they got there by calorie restricting or over-exercising, and that is not healthy either. So you can absolutely be thin and be more unhealthy than someone that might be overweight and is taking care of their body completely. So idea of this perfect body, it's not out there. The perfect way to know your health is, are you nourishing your body with the right foods, eating from all the food groups, and are you exercising regularly? Are you taking care of your mental health? Are you getting the proper sleep? If you're doing these things, then it really doesn't matter what your BMI says, your body's going to be metabolically healthy. I like that. That's awesome. So you talk a little bit about like the eating from the food groups and everything like that. So you know, sustain, like, obviously, you know, some people want to sustain, some people want to gain weight, some people want to lose weight, but how do you just eat healthy, right? Like you say in the, all the food groups and, you know, not necessarily one of those categories, but how do you handle all of that? Yeah, perfect. So, you know, all that diets really are, no matter if you're keto, paleo, plant-based, or like me, and you're just seeking balanced meals, it's just a pre, it's a distribution of your macronutrients, just changing that out. And if you can master which foods go in which food groups, and if you know if something is more carbs, proteins, or fats, you can really, um, you don't have to count calories. It becomes super easy. With something using, um, the USDA has something that's called the MyPlate. It used to be the food pyramid way back when. And now it looks like a my plate, and it's a more visual um, using something you use every single day to help you create a healthy meal that is balanced. And so, in a my plate, half of the plate is fruits and vegetables. One fourth of your plate is whole grains or starchy vegetables. And so, already right away, we're learning that seventy five percent or more of your diet should be plant-based sources. Now, one-fourth of the plate is also protein, and this can be animal products. Animal products absolutely have a place in a healthy diet, but it also can be plant-based proteins as well. So we were talking earlier about that right fuel for your body, and then there's a wrong fuel for your body too. I like to use this analogy, it makes it pretty easy. You know, to know the right fuels for your body, if it came from this earth, if God created it, it is good. Eat it. So any plants, anything that's grown in a garden, any even animals, God put chickens and cows and fish on this land too, they can all be supported in a healthy diet. However, with animal products, there it. It's not the animal that is the problem anymore these days. It's how we've raised them, how we've farmed our animal products. Oftentimes, we're feeding our cows and pigs with feed that is loaded in pesticides. We also have to inject a lot of antibiotics in our chicken and our fish to help stop the spread of diseases. And so we actually consume that through their meat. And especially with how they're slaughtered, Whenever an animal sees it coming, they release toxic endorphins in their body. And then we consume that too. So a lot of animal products can still cause stress and inflammation in your body. 
And that's something to just know. And that's why it's only one fourth of your plate. Not like how I was raised where your meal was surrounded by the protein being the main entree. And then you might have a side of vegetables and a side of starch. It's actually should be reversed. Your protein should be the accent to your meal, never the entree. Your entree should be a variety of colors. It should be vibrant with reds, oranges, greens. If you're eating bright colored foods, there's a good chance you're eating the foods that are going to nourish your body from the inside out. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm like, what meal I'm going to make next? Yeah. I'm like, got to get my plate. Like, make and sure just it's like all... the colorful part, right? Like, I totally like think of just walking into Whole Foods or something and looking around at all the vegetables and stuff. And like, sometimes I don't even know what they are. So wh- how do you suggest like going from that point? Like now, now I know, now I know this. What do, what do we do now? We'll be right back. Are you a Caribbean American? Are you looking for a podcast that truly speaks to your culture and identity? Look no further than Carry On Friends, the ultimate destination for all things Caribbean American, hosted by me, Carrie Ann. Dive deep into topics such as culture, heritage, and everyday life through the unique lens of the Caribbean American experience. You'll walk away feeling more connected to your roots. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts so you'll never miss an episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American experience. Your Caribbean American community awaits. Well, the first thing you have to, you know, be aware of what your current food habits are. Number one, you know, take the time get a journal or just write it down. You know, when do you eat and where do you eat? That is very important to really know because it'll tell you a lot about yourself, but not only about tracking when you eat or where you eat, know what you eat and why you're eating it. So if you're not eating a whole lot of vegetables currently, you know, um, ask yourself, you know, what vegetables do I like? You know, the, the trick is to actually increase your motivation for wanting to eat the vegetables. So if you are already heading in, like somebody's telling me to eat vegetables, I hate vegetables, <laughs> you probably won't ever touch a vegetable. But if you come with a sense of curiosity and you start learning about the benefits of vegetables, you learn that vegetables are naturally very low calories. So you can actually eat more volume of food and still stay below your calorie goal, well, maybe that'll entice you, hey, I want to eat more vegetables. Or maybe with COVID, right? COVID's affecting people's immune system. And you learn that vegetables are helping your immune system. That might be a motivation for wanting to increase more vegetables in your diet. So then where do you go from there? Okay, what are vegetables you're familiar with? Did you grow up eating bell peppers and zucchinis are those something that you eat here and there maybe carrots you know start there Mm -hmm. our taste buds do change we actually get brand new taste buds every like 21 to 30 days so if you don't like a particular food at first especially with vegetables which tends to be more bitter and the more bitter foods are sometimes more healthier they are for our body (laughs) 
But a lot of people aren't used to eating better foods. And so it does take time to just slowly reintroduce those foods to your body. And sooner or later, you're going to start craving it because your body recognizes that those foods are so nourishing and it's supporting your health. Your body is going to be like, give me this all the time. It just is going to take some time. But there's thousands Thousands of different fruits and vegetables, whole grains, nuts and seeds, beans, legumes. So it never has to be boring. Eating whole foods never should be boring. You can always change it up. There's thousands. So if you don't like one particular food, that's fine. Don't keep forcing yourself too. That's going to create a bad relationship with that food. Like if you really, really hate kale, don't eat kale. You know, you can try spinach or collards, greens, you know, arugula. There's a lot of other green leafy vegetables out there. Um, But, you know, just keep an open mind and stay curious. Try different recipes. Try different cooking methods. You're bound to find a way that you do or you can enjoy these foods. Make it fun. Yeah. No, totally. We got a lot of questions about... Like we talked a little bit about caffeine and like the stress and everything like that. So how does stress eating affect your cognitive skills? And is stress eating a part of binge eating? And also when can you recognize like if you are dealing with these like stressful situations where you're either binge eating or not eating enough, how do you recognize when it's gone too far and maybe like there's an issue that may be not stress induced? Good question. So first, I want to highlight that there are three very highly addictive nutrients found in our diets. These nutrients are salt, saturated fats, and sugar. So our bodies get that same dopamine response that lights up our brain when we eat these foods in the same way as whenever we smoke a cigarette or drink alcohol or do any other kind of hard drugs. We get that dopamine response that tells our brain, hey, I want more, I want more, I want more. And so when we are stressed, when that cortisol is released in our body, like we were talking about earlier, that cortisol actually triggers your brain to say, hey, I want these fat or sugar rich foods or even sometimes salty foods too, because I need that dopamine response. So oftentimes we are eating out of that emotion. We're eating out of response to our stress and not out of physical hunger at that point. You have to be able to really tune into your body to be able to recognize, am I eating out of true hunger or is this out of an emotional stress state? Because you should never, ever deprive your body of food ever if you're physically hungry. But if your body is growling and there's a lot of sensations you can recognize when you're physically hungry, Um, oftentimes hearing the growling of your stomach, that's like the big one, right? If you feel physically hungry and you're being mindful and you're checking in and you realize, okay, my stomach feels empty, eat food, never feel guilty, never have shame about it. But if you do recognize that you're eating more out of this compulsive need to manage your stress, that's where it becomes more psychological. And it definitely is going to take a lot more patience and um, grace while you try to heal this innate desire to choose food as a way to cope with that stress. 
And it just is all about figuring out how to manage your stress. For some people, you know, stress eating and binge eating, they're very similar, but they're very different. Binge eating is a mental health disorder and you, it is a, um, eating disorder. It is, it is in the DSM five, which is a manual that helps assess and diagnose mental health disorders. So if you feel like you are having a problem, um, and one of the, one of the like few criterias, and this isn't all of them, I don't have them in front of me, but if you are hiding food, you're eating, you know, when everybody goes to sleep, that's when you get out and eat because you're ashamed to eat in front of people. Or if you're eating every two hours, volumes of foods that are way larger than the average or the normal amount of food intake, those are some signs that it could be a real disorder problem. And at that time, seeing a behavior coach that can actually work through you, um, cognitive behavior therapy, CBT, is a really helpful therapy to help rewire how you handle that those situations can be really great. Um, however, there's some people that's not as severe. It's definitely not all the time either. Maybe there's just certain seasons of high stress, like around the holidays, everybody's, you know, stressed. And with this year, 2020, it was just stress all the way through. There was no like non-stress anymore. It's just, we're in, we're locked in our homes, which even makes it worse. So at that point, you have to really be able to find healthier solutions to why you're eating. One of the big ways to recognize if you're eating out of emotion versus physical health, especially with women, I feel like this is more common, is that you have this like compulsive need, like there's no time to wait. Like I need to eat this now. Like I'm just so ravishly hungry and it's came out of nowhere. Hunger does take time. So if you feel like all of a sudden you're like super, super, super hungry, it is often that your brain is just telling you, hey, I need a dose of dopamine. And with that, there's a lot of ways to to help. It's going to be hard um, because you don't just find a natural alternative therapy uh, easily. Our body, especially depending on how long you've had this um, coping with your stress with food, it may take months to even years to sometimes figure out how to adjust it. But ideally, one of the best ways to help is practice more mindful eating. So slowing down when you eat, being really aware of all your senses as you're eating it. So assessing your meal. Is your meal vibrant in colors? Does it smell good? You know, taking time to think, where did this come from? You know, how many people had handled my meal? Like if you're eating Brussels sprouts, how long did it take from the time this was picked to the time it got on my plate? You know, thinking about that thoroughly, having time to slow down, assessing your meal really helps with the control of that compulsive need to eat. But even then eating out of those compulsions, not always the greatest too. Um, some people just want like an oral fixation. So finding a friend to call or going for a walk, one of the best ways to handle stress is exercise. So figuring out a way to do like a quick little exercise anytime you have that compulsive need to eat, um, you know, finding those 
other ways to handle that stress is necessary. But giving yourself grace for, for, for choosing food, because if you, every time you eat food, have this sense of shame or guilt for eating it, you're going to keep building a bad relationship with food. You're going to keep thinking that food is the problem when really food is the solution. It's just you got to change your perspective and how you see it and, and get rid of this notion that it's your fault. It's not your fault. It's just your brain. And it's honestly our society for loading our food up with salt, sugar, and fat because it's really addictive. Yeah. You never want to crave lettuce. Like you're not craving cucumbers because they're not high in those nutrients. We crave burgers and candies and popcorn and other kind of salty foods. So um, it may even be get those foods out of your diet that can really help with the, with the um, binge eating or eating out of emotions too. So what are some common foods that are known to cause bloating in most people and like why we should avoid them. Yeah. So bloat um, can be like from one or two areas. We talked earlier a little bit about like bloating in your stomach from like gas. So really high, like fibrous foods that that can cause problems. So things like beans and lentils, nuts and seeds, um, fruits that are very like fleshy. They tend to be the higher fiber foods. So like apples, peaches, pears, plums, apricots, um, those are going to have more fiber in it than say like bananas and uh, pineapple and mangoes and watermelon. Those aren't very fleshy like. Those could cause the gassy bloat. And again, these are very healthy, nutritious foods that are loaded in vitamins and minerals and antioxidants. So we don't want to just cut them out of the diet. We want to build our tolerance back up to handling it. However, if it's not a gas bloat, it could be more of a water retention bloat. And that comes from um, high salty foods actually Mm -hmm. help retain water. And you'll see this more on like your ankles or your hands, your feet, your calves. They'll start to kind of swell a little bit. And they do that even when you're stressed too. And so reducing your salt intake, where most people get the most salt on a daily basis from eating out. So if you're eating restaurant foods, because guess what? Salt is very addicting, right? These businesses want their customers to come back. They load their food up with the most addictive foods. So their customers say, hey, it tastes good. I want to go back there. Mm -hmm. So cooking more meals at home is one of the best ways to reduce your salt intake. Also, salt is a preservative. We need it in canned goods and frozen goods just to increase the shelf life. But if you have something like canned beans, all it takes is just a simple rinse of the beans. You can rinse off 80% of that salt or just choose low sodium variety. The recommended Intake for salt for the average American is two grams. And you think about one gram being about the weight of a paperclip. And so if you're pinching salt into your hand, total daily is two grams. And salt is hidden in so many foods. 
So we really don't want to be adding any salt to our foods because there's already so much in there and that will make it feel more stiff and bloated. Um, refined carbohydrates too, they actually increase um, salt retention. So again, those are like your white breads, your white flours, white sugar tends to do that. And lastly, alcohol. Alcohol absolutely can make your body feel more bloated, filled with more inflammation as well. So how you can get down that inflammation is by sweating. So exercise, you lose the salt through your sweat. And so that's one of the best ways um, to really get your body back in that balance. I'm just like shook about the two grams of salt I thing. Know, I'm thinking about all the times I put salt on like, like so much, salt. so much salt or like, like more than a pinch. Like know. that's I'm two sorry. grams right there. Yeah, like every time more. I eat chips, which I shouldn't eat either. Like it's making all, all, all the sense now. You know? Right. Right. Okay. So uh, one of our listeners specifically asked like things to eat when your autoimmune disease and conditions are flaring up due to stress. And what are some of those autoimmune diseases that can be caused because of stress? Do you know? I'm sure you do. Yeah, there's a lot of autoimmune diseases out there. Um, Things like Crohn's disease, you can have celiac disease, um, rheumatoid arthritis, um, psoriasis, tons of different conditions out there. And food is one of the most helpful tools for keeping that inflammation down to keep you in remission. Food can also be what triggers that inflammation and and causes your autoimmune to arise too. So each autoimmune disease is going to have different foods that affect it um, entirely. For instance, I know with psoriasis, gluten is a really big problem, as well as celiac disease. Celiac is intolerance of gluten. Um, And so if you're eating a lot of wheat that has gluten, then you could have a flare-up. Even things like with uh, rheumatoid arthritis or certain, even psoriasis too as well, nightshade vegetables, which are your eggplants, your peppers, and your tomatoes, those can cause inflammation in your body and cause flare-ups too. So ideally, you you just want to know when you are in remission. You want to try to test different foods when you're also not in a state of stressness. So that way you have this in your back pocket for when you are stressed and you are having flare-ups, you're, you're aware of which foods you should try to avoid. You never want to try to figure that out when you are stressed. It's just, you might not get the right results. So when you're in a good state of your life, your remission is down, your stress is pretty down, try to slowly introduce certain foods that might be problematic for you. If you start feeling some itching or some discomfort, note that and just note that as a food that you probably aren't able to tolerate. It's really hard for me to just give like black and white explanations of like which foods because everybody's bodies are so different and we all tolerate foods very differently. But you could probably do like a quick um, like Google search for your certain autoimmune disorder and figure out which foods are commonly more um, triggering than others and just get a good baseline. And that can help you when you do try to do that inflammation but overall, like when you are in remission, I would then recommend trying to follow the anti-inflammatory diet as much as possible. 
because even foods that are not, say, a trigger for your condition, say you have celiac, the type of condition that cannot tolerate gluten, you may avoid gluten completely, but say you ate 10 slices of bacon, which is a processed meat that is highly inflammatory, that bacon could be what triggered your immune response. So it's really trying to eat the foods that's going to actually tackle the inflammation already in your body and not eat any foods that's going to contribute to more inflammation that's already there. One of the questions that we got was food to eat before an eight-hour final so you're not hungry. So what are some foods that are maybe easy on the stomach and filling enough for people who have to go do an eight-hour shift or like go take an eight-hour test? Yeah, so this is similar to how like athletes would want to eat before a really big game. Mm-hmm. You never want to eat a brand new food or foods that you're not certain that you tolerate well. So don't be trying to eat a really big meal. It's a little fancy, fancy. You never ate it before because there might be something in there that not sit well with you. And then that whole time you're thinking about your digestion and not about your exam or your performance. So make sure, one, eat a meal you're very familiar with and you know that you can tolerate it. Two, we're talking about performance here. We want to stimulate your brain with the right nutrients you need to thrive. So eating brain-boosting foods, things that are rich in omega-3 fatty acids like avocados, nuts, and seeds, these things are going to really help give your body and your brain the nutrients it needs to perform well. Um, Hydration too, making sure you have proper hydration. You also want to make sure you're getting all those vitamins and minerals that are really good for your brain, antioxidants too. So some of my favorite like brain foods, I mentioned um, avocados and chia seeds, nuts like walnuts. Those are really great. Blueberries are fabulous brain foods. Um, Wild caught salmon is really good brain food. Broccoli, any kind of green leafy vegetable has something in it called B12 and folate. That is really good for your brain. And let's see, eggs too have choline. Choline is really good for the brain too. So maybe a good breakfast with eggs is going to be very helpful. But ideally, if we're talking about long duration, then you're going to want to make sure you have some good complex carbohydrates that have a little bit of fat and fiber in it. Now, be mindful of the fiber and the fat because these are things that could cause digestive issues. Like we're talking about if you have IBS, too much fiber may not be good, but fiber and fat is what slows down digestion. So you think about like peanut butter, peanut butter is really sticky. It's very high in fat too. It's going to take a lot longer for your stomach acid to digest that peanut butter than it would say like a rice cracker. Ah. So having like an avocado with a sweet potato and maybe some grains in there and then like a smoothie with blueberries, like that would be a really good satiating meal. It's going to keep you full for a pretty long time but also give you the nutrients that you need to have that energy to perform well. And then snack, if possible, have some snacks with you. Um, Whole fresh fruit, really good snacks. That would be my suggestion. 
So we get a lot of questions of like how to be healthy when you're, you know, don't have a lot of time. So what are some tips for people or like students, right, that are on in a time crunch and in, like what are some easy meals that they can get all their nutrients in that doesn't take that long to um, cook? Because, you know, there's not a lot of time because I know for us students, when law students in particular, because, you know, it's just insane. Um, we don't have a lot of time a lot to like cook and stuff. And so, eat, you know, the first thing is, oh, let me just order food. And like from what you're saying, you know, food from restaurants has so much salt, like no wonder we're all like fatigued and stuff, yeah. you know? So I think that's a big question. We got that like a lot of times. Yeah. yeah. I would say if you're looking for ways to save time when cooking, go plant-based. The foods that take the longest to cook is your meat protein. So if you're sticking with more plant-based foods, these things can be prepared fairly quickly, especially if you steam your foods. Like I feel like steaming is one of the fastest ways to cook up a bunch of foods. Even something like a sweet potato, you peel it and chop it into quarters. You put it in a steamer and it's ready in 10 minutes, if that Um, But Brussels sprouts, zucchinis, beans, I mean, you can do canned beans. They're still just as healthy as dried beans, and it saves you a lot of time. There's also a lot of steamable microwavable things. So you can do like microwavable broccoli if you don't have a steamer basket. Um, You can microwave your beans. I mean, you can really make a lot of quick, easy meals, 15 minutes or less with just a steamer basket and some produce. So it shouldn't be complicated. Um, One of the best ways to really just make sure you're getting the balanced meal. And if you're wanting it quick, you don't have to follow a recipe. I like to use something called like the mix match method. And it just think of one protein, one vegetable, and maybe one starch. So that could be zucchini, quinoa, and chickpeas. Or it could be Brussels sprouts, rice and black beans or it could be cauliflower and um like cauliflower lentil wrap i mean it's you can make it really easy if you're just mixing mix and match you know certain grains vegetables and a protein okay so while you know just to kind of one of our last few questions what is some good go-to plant proteins because, you know, like you mentioned being plant-based and that's quick. And I think a lot of people would enjoy that. So what are some of the best go-to options that we can stock our kitchen with? Yeah. So every plant out there without an exception has all three macronutrients, meaning it has carbs, proteins, and fats. So yes, even lettuce has fats and proteins. Although small amounts, you're still getting some of your protein through all whole foods. So if you're choosing whole foods, you will get some degree of protein. We do not have a protein deficiency in this country at all. We have a fiber (laughs) deficiency, but not a protein deficiency. But if you are looking for some higher rich protein foods that are more plant-based, you know, starting with some of the real rich protein foods like soy, tempeh, and edamame, those can be really good options. Beans and lentils, some of my favorite proteins because they're really low in fat. Most protein 
that's high in protein, it's usually high in fat too, which does increase the calorie of that particular food group. So choosing lean proteins are really smart and and helpful when you're watching calorie intake. So choosing beans can be a really good protein too. Um, You can do nuts and seeds, whole grains, any type of whole grain, not just bread, but whole grains like quinoa and oats, bulgur. These foods all have protein in them too. Um, A lot of starchy vegetables, like root vegetables, like potatoes, um, beets, these all have really good protein in them. My protein, um, like from mushrooms, mushrooms are really good protein sources. That's what you tend to see like those chicken alternatives made out of. Um, Really, really good protein. Mushrooms, when talking about stress, mushrooms are really, really good for stress balance. So mushrooms, I'm talking about functional mushrooms that goes a little bit beyond just like the white button mushrooms in your diet, more like the cordyceps and lion mane, different types of functional mushrooms. They're actually called adaptogens. They helped your body adapt to stress. So I know that's a little bit off the topic of protein, but it's really Yeah, mushrooms are really, really helpful and really good for your digestive system too. Um, So getting protein from mushrooms. Um, You can do nutritional yeast that's still pretty high in protein. Spirulina, which is like a blue-green algae that's loaded in those healthy omegas too. Um, You can do that. I would highly um, recommend doing food protein before any protein powder, but you can still even supplement your protein through some protein powders if you feel like your diet is not um, providing you enough. This is awesome. I have a whole new view on food. I know. I totally agree. And just the steamy idea, there's this, I've been wanting to get a steaming basket anyways. And just the, it's just, like you said, the simple Google search, you know, like, and knowing now the my plate idea and just, you gave us some seriously really good tools to just kind of advance forward and do some more research on our own. And like you said, you kind of have to figure out what your body thinks of all that food. And that is something that I never really thought about either. Yeah. And I think, um, food in general for at least me, like really affects everything in my life. Um, so I think now knowing like certain foods to avoid and all that you talked about, like, it's gonna be super helpful for not only us, but everybody who asks these questions yeah for sure well thank you so much you're welcome I'll just leave you guys with this and it's that your body wants to heal you know you get a paper cut you might put a band-aid over it but your band-aid is not what's healing your body your band-aid or your body is healing itself it's going to create a scab and soon it'll go back to normal but if you pick at your scab three times a day every single day will your body ever heal No, no, you never give your body a fighting chance to heal. And so that's what happens when we eat. If we continue to eat the foods three times a day, every single day that is contributing to our stress and inflammation, our bodies will never be able to heal. But if you can get that food out of your diet and introduce the foods that actually promote healing, then our bodies will heal. We'll start to have more energy. We can start 
focusing clear, getting rid of that brain fog and start thriving better. So it's all about what you put in your body and how you view that action too. It's really important. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, Thank you so I'm much. So impressed. Yeah. I mean, you're so educated and you are so well-spoken about it. And I felt like we could have asked you about like any food and you would have been like, yeah, these are the, you know, nutrients and everything. It's just awesome. I, I definitely think that, and correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like eating and learning about food is a journey and we're just in the process of trying to navigate that. And thank you so much for your help. Yeah, thank you so, so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to us. Yes, it is a journey and you just got to take it one step at a time. And I'm so thankful for you guys and inviting me on your show. And I would love to come back anytime you need me. Well, and just like, I feel like as we grow in this and just figure out, you know, like I, I really like the idea of when it, like low stress. So basically when finals is over <laughs> in going through like the introducing foods you know I've heard of that before but I never really understood why you would want to do that you know or what that meant for your your health you know and I think it's the only true way to understand how your body handles individualized things Mm -hmm. and so you know you might think like oh I have have an intolerance to gluten or something and you can I feel like you can really pinpoint things without having to pay a bunch of money you know you can just figure it out for your own self. And I think that that's, that's, that's empowering. Yeah. Just get, um, like an elimination diet journal that will guide you through how to navigate reintroducing certain foods back in your diet. That's like the trickiest part, Mm -hmm. but if you have a way that helps you guide through those steps, then you should be able to with time, figure out which foods and considering the dose too, because you know, that does play a part. But absolutely, you can figure out the foods that help your body and the foods that your body just does not like. Wow, I just learned so much. I feel like I just want to make all my plates colorful and delicious now (laughs) and get a steamer bag. I mean, I'm not kidding when I said I was shook about the whole two grams of salt because literally guys if you knew me okay well now you are gonna know me and I'm not gonna do this anymore after talking to her but every time we go to like a Mexican restaurant and you know you get the free chips I straight up put like 10 shakes of salt (laughs) on there every single time and I'm like oh I just love salty chips I need salt in my diet like straight up because my doctor told me at one point long time ago that I need more salt in my diet but I don't think he meant that. He meant it like that. Now that I know, like, what the the max is, you know what I mean? It's probably because, too, like, I don't know when that was in your life, but I know that your mom is, like, pretty good at cooking healthy. And so think about, too, like, that stuff doesn't have salt. So if you were eating really healthy at that point in your life, then you didn't have enough salt in your diet. And then you, like, go five years later or something and you were in law school and we eat out all the time. And little did we know, it's we're getting plenty. I mean, now that I picture like my meals for the next few days like thinking of a plate that has no color on it kind of grosses me out at at this moment right now after like hearing her talk about like how like terrible all the things can be for your body and like the grogginess and all the things that just kind of made sense I'm just like so much more inspired to eat better you know yeah because I think we all had so many questions about how to stay awake how to stay alert how to not be groggy how to 
feel better and all of that boiled down to the fact that I know we're not eating the right things and like we just treat our bodies like crap and it was just I loved that analogy that she gave about the diesel fuel and or even at the end when she was like well how would your scab heal if you were just picking at it three times a day every day like that's your body and I've heard like so like bits and pieces of what she said like your body heals itself or it adapts and things like that but I never really had such a big idea or you know such a good picture painted for me like she did and telling us like this is what you need to do and this is why your body does it and how beautiful and like strong we really are I think that's cool especially when you are in this like law school headspace like I mean, clearly, I'm sure you guys heard it. Like, it's so important to, like, nourish your body, right? And now that I'm thinking, like, right now as we record this, we're in the middle of finals, and next episode we'll tell you guys all about that. But, like, I know I'm not eating, like, well, that's what I asked, why I asked her about, like, the not eating, like, when you're stressed, because, like, that's me. And, like, now that I know, okay, well... I need to manage my stress, right? Mm -hmm. I think we all knew that. But also, like, the caffeine thing, you know? Because I was talking a few episodes about, like, how I maybe wanted to stop coffee because it wasn't, like, reacting. Like, I just didn't feel my best self, like, drinking coffee. And, like, maybe I have one of the body systems or whatever that, like, doesn't react to coffee well, you know? so Or maybe it was something completely different. Or something completely different. And then you start to reintroduce these things to your body and you realize coffee is not a problem or even caffeine. Maybe I think too, like the added stress and how much, I mean, 400 milligrams, I definitely think I exceed that, which is probably why we can't sleep and we're anxious. So I think even just knowing that is nice to like, just like she said, journaling about it and just keeping track and just, I think the first step is doing that, like just seeing how you are in your habits and then figuring out a plan after of like, okay, I'm always get hungry at this time or I always feel like I want the dopamine, you know, what do I do and how do I fix my schedule to take care of that? And like the drinking and alcohol, how it makes your skin and she's like the best thing you can do is sweat. Like, you know, you hear like, let's sit in the sauna, but then you think like, wow, we actually should do that. I mean, considering how much salt is, like, in my diet now that I'm hyper-aware, like, won't stop (laughs) thinking about it, like, I should probably go work out right now, but we'll just work out tomorrow, you know? (laughs) And, like, sit in a hot shower. (laughs) Like, yeah, that's what we'll do, yeah. One of those. Self-care, right? Because eating healthy is self-care because you just feel better. Mm -hmm. Like, at the end of the day. Exactly. Which is self-care. And honestly, if you can, come like, manage to keep these habits long-term, like, it's just going to benefit you in the long run, you know? And I know there's been bouts in my life where I'll eat really healthy for a certain amount of time, but it's it's hard, you know? Yeah, and I think it, it ends up falling apart when the high stress comes or, you know, you realize that you your body wants that dopamine and then you break it, right? And then you get slightly back into the addiction of the salts and the saturated fats and everything and the sugar. And so once you've broken that for so long, that's why you don't really crave it anymore. And so once you go right back, you have to realize that that's that feeling. You're you're addicted. You don't really want that. Or your body's craving it. Like, you don't really need that. So, guys, we really hope that you enjoyed this episode. I know we both did. And like Samantha said, next week we are going to give you the lowdown on our finals experience. Um, 
like she also said before, we just got done taking one of our finals. It was very hard. We have cried and, you know, live on to the next day, live on to fight another day. So that's what we're going to go do, guys. And we hope that you also pick up. And even if you feel like crying sometimes during finals, you can pick back up and keep working. And sometimes you just need to cry. Like, I've been holding in my crying for probably the past week. And then today was the day where I was like, I just need to let it out. Or else I'll start crying during my final. And that just wouldn't... It just wasn't going to work out that way, you know? Because I just... I wasn't going to do that. So I'd just rather cry right before. So that's just a little insight into what we're going to be talking about next week. Um, if you guys want to order merch for your friends, yourself for Christmas, or you want someone else to order it for you for Christmas, like Santa, um, get on those orders quickly because I, I think that with the holidays, shipping is going to be a little longer because we got our shipping down um, to good levels um, because of COVID, but now because holidays, it's going to change it a little. So try to order as soon as possible. Um, we are going to release some dates of like when you should order by to get it by Christmas, and we'll do that next week because we know there's still a little bit of wiggle room. And then um, we will announce the winners to the giveaway on Instagram. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, stay tuned, guys. And be safe. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. And even if you aren't with your family, you know, it's still going to be okay. I know we say that like a thousand times every episode. It's going to be okay. But things are crazy. Times are weird. Tell your family that you love them. If you do get to see your family, love on them. And just know we're all, I know me and Santa are very thankful for you guys. So love you and we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.